This is Ron Friends, comics illustrator, and this is a bumper for the amazing Spider Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. Hello and welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com and uh, now an editorial assistant at ComicBookResources.com. Well, congratulations, Dan. It sounds like you got a new position. I did one I certainly never thought I would have, but, you know, lo and behold, you know, I guess these things are all bound to happen. You make a Spider-Man site and then... You get hired by comic book resources? Maybe. And, you know, don't get too excited, everybody at home. It might not happen if you create a Spider-Man <laughs> site. Well, I was going to say, you're now part of the comic book Illuminati, so good job. I do. Um, I have an insider. I'm getting all those Marvel early review books. No, that doesn't exist. But They don't exist. Yeah. But, 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 well, you know, ignore the man behind the curtain. And in the in- meantime, I'm Mark Ginocchio, and I'm the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and an editor at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. The, the premier comic book site on the internet still, I will Unquestionable. Say. My loyalty has not been bought. I am still a spider talker (laughs) through and through. There you go. Well, everybody, thanks for joining us for the fourth episode of our coverage of Volume 4 of Amazing Spider-Man. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. And boy, is it a big picture in this new series. Absolutely. Well, for this episode, we will be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 4, Number 4 by Dan Slott and Giuseppe Comancoli. And then we'll review your comments and emails. And then, Dan, I I heard a rumor that one of our favorite guests might be on board for some Flash Thompson's Flash reviews. So, um, you know, do whatever it is you do when he might be showing up. I I look forward to that. But in the meanwhile, I must say... That it's going to take a lot to keep me away from you. So let's bless the rains down in Africa with our discussion of Amazing Spider-Man number four. I got to say, you know, not to reveal how the sausage is made, but, um, you know, typically either before or immediately following a podcast recording, I like will text Dan like random songs that I I think work with an issue. And uh, Dan, you made this joke about Toto 
and the song Africa, the, the, the wonderful hit song Africa from the 1980s on Twitter the other day. And I was just like, you win, Dan. You got it. You win. <laughs> so, it was such a stretch. An, an, an issue set in Africa and the song Africa. I, I really painstakingly thought through that one. Well, Dan, you, you win. So I'll, I'll take um, the credit where, where, when it's given. Like, you know, like I, I, I will, and I will take zero credit for this. So if you, if you think it's corny, you know who to blame, not me. <laughs> That's, it wasn't a compliment. It was really just a way to get out of taking credit for this. Right. Well, speaking of backhanded compliments, let's talk about Amazing Spider-Man number four. Um, you know, and on that note, um, to its credit, I, I, I found, you know, we, we've been talking this whole time since this reboot about, you know, trying to trying to find where the actual spider-man story is within this new status quo that it's it, it's felt so foreign you know people have called it a tony stark story whatever um and i i felt like the central conflict of this issue um where you know peter essentially had to abandon this z-day uh, initiative to take out zodiac with shield to go rescue his aunt may and 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 jay jameson over in africa who were like volunteering at a at a solar panel installation for parker industries before they got attacked by a bunch of random uh goblin bombs uh i thought that that kind of for the first time really started to illuminate like i guess the choices that Peter has to make within the new boundaries of the status quo. And I like that. I don't know if I liked a lot of other things in this issue, but I did like that. I I felt for the first time that these were Spider-Man, familiar Spider-Man choices being made, uh, like conundrums, conundrums that Peter would have, uh, whether it's, you know, choosing school over Spider-Man or, or, you know, running out of a room to take pictures, but actually be Spider-Man in front of Gwen and MJ or, bypassing shield to go rescue may what, what do you think about that dan well I, you know uh i agree with you i think that these are decisions that are you know like common things we would see in a spider-man comic and i guess you know revealing my feeling about it i'm going to ask a question back to you is yes these are spider-man conflicts but did you find them satisfying um in the story the, itself as like a conflict worthy of reading a whole issue about. Because personally, I didn't really like buy it. I wasn't very invested in whatever decision Spider-Man made regarding S.H.I.E.L.D. I mean, he's essentially going half an hour out of his way to save Aunt May. I don't really feel like them waiting an hour for him to start Z-Day was something that I really invested a lot in. It reminds me of the human torch thing last issue where there was this fight, but I wasn't really invested in the stakes of the fight because I didn't really buy into the premise of the fight. And I guess the same is true here for me. I don't really buy into the premise of Peter abandoning shield because it's not been made. It's not been something that I've been made to feel like has a lot of value. So I guess that's how I yeah. feel about it. How do you feel about that, Mark? I, I, I agree completely with you because it's, you know, it's one of those things where you're just kind of like wondering, yes, he's making a choice and, and, you know, the text is telling us this is important that he's making this choice and that, you know, family comes first and, you know, 
I can I can put Nick Fury on hold while uh, while uh, Katy Perry song plays on my cell phone, which is a joke that's getting a little played out, I would think, um, in these Dan Slott comics. Oh my goodness! Uh, right? Um, I mean, we can can we retire this joke of the pop the pop the silly pop song uh, ringtone for? But anyway, you think um, it was like a core tenet of who Peter is as a character, but I I can't think of other people doing this kind of stuff. No, um, definitely not. But um, the thing is, the you know we're being told it's important, but I, I I really didn't get a sense of stakes here. Like what 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 did making this decision actually mean? You know, like it's it's thinking to you know like a Roger Stern issue or something where you know he's blowing off the the dean at Empire State University where he's trying to get his you know his his doctorate. Uh, to go be Spider-Man. I mean, you know, the stakes of, you know, you're, you're not going to be a doctor and fulfill your dream and disappoint your aunt and she's going to be lonely and die lonely because you screwed up, Peter. Those stakes were there, you know. These, the stakes here with S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Zodiac and, and Nick Fury Jr. and Bobby Morse, I'm not feeling it. Um, so yeah, it's nice that we have Peter Parker problems, but it's, there's still not a ton of there there. Yeah, and uh, to, to background that, I guess I'm still waiting for more details on how we got to this point. You know, the, I guess the eight month time jump. You know, because Parker Industries was destroyed, and now we're at this. You know, Peter has this relationship with Shield, but I feel like this characterization of Peter blowing off Shield. It's a good one, you know, right? Like this conflict is is a good thing to establish. But in many ways, it actually flies in the face of Peter's new status quo and kind of leads me to, like, believe less in Peter as this new character that he is. Because, you know, looking back at his old stories, I always figured the reason that Peter had to drop out of grad school was that his priorities, like, leaned towards his family's protection and his duties as Spider-Man, you know, due to his, like, really strict adherence to the promise he made to Uncle Ben, or I guess, you know, after Uncle Ben's death, the promise he made to himself regarding Uncle uh, Uncle Ben. And here it seems clear that those priorities remain, right? He chooses to go after Aunt May despite the pleading of others. And yet Peter is more successful than he's ever been. And if those priorities remain, I'm curious, like, what what is he giving up? You know, like like he did in the past. You know, if it didn't work out for him in the past, he had, he had to give up something to have these priorities. How is he successful and having these priorities? So him just like blowing off shield out of the blue doesn't adhere to as someone who would be like a Steve Jobs type person. Does that make sense, Mark? You know, for you – and if I'm misinterpreting what you're saying, let me know. But I mean it's like, you know – it would suggest, given where we are with this new status quo, that you know, considering how different of a character Peter Parker is in terms of his success, that something something about him personality-wise has changed. Yeah, or something create, had to give. Yeah, to create this level of success, he 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 re, he reestablished priorities, or has new priorities, or has priorities for the first time that make sense from a business standpoint, whatever. But, you know, his actions in this issue don't necessarily reflect that. But at the same token, it's not like it's not like a sense that by blowing off shield that Parker Industries is in jeopardy now. 
No, and, right? and throughout the rest of this comic too, anytime anything gets blown up, destroyed, when villains are attacking, he bribes them with money. He says, I'm going to buy new solar panels. And in the end, you feel like this is all consequence free fun. You know, it's not like S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, felt a stunning defeat when he wasn't there. They still, you know, took down. Zodiac in the way that in the best way possible. So there are no consequences, and you know Parker Industries seems to be made of unlimited funds. So like you're waiting for that consequence to come on a, like a personal level. Like what is Peter Parker sacrificed? And at this point, I still don't know anything. Yeah, and you know we're we're not getting that inner monologue, um, which you've mentioned in in previous episodes and you know this 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 eight month time jump you know not to be not to be glib about it but i feel like it's just kind of invited a lot of um sloppy storytelling and 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 kind of you know leaps of faith from the creative team here i mean you know something that kind of struck me and maybe i'm overreading but you know i felt like when Spider-Man did show up in Africa to save May, I mean, like, the entire relationship between Spider-Man and May seemed different in, in, like, in that it was, like, okay again for them to be in the same, you know, whereas there was a period within Slot's own book, um, specifically in Superior, when there was that issue, the, the annual issue where, you know, May was, was captured and, you know, where she, you know, wanted Peter to sever all ties with Spider-Man. Um, and, you know, we got through these first three issues, you know, very public, you know, kind of declaration that Spider-Man was Peter Parker's bodyguard. But we, you know, throughout all of this, we didn't hear anything from Aunt May because she wasn't featured, and it almost made you wonder, oh, what, what's going on with May? Did she, did she, did, you know, is she doing something else because she's upset with her? You know, like what, again, what are the consequences of 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 this this very brazen new status quo? And here, there are none. You know, like it's just like you know, it's almost like those things don't matter anymore. And I'm sure if you pressed. Dan Slott about it, you know, the answer would be, oh, well, it was smoothed over in the eight months, you know, <laughs> like, because <laughs> yeah, that's, it's a, that's it's a really good point. I mean, like, I mean, not only between, you know, Aunt May and Spider-Man, but, you know, there was a period of time where Peter, you know, destroyed all of his spider costumes, you know, as a part of like um, Horizon and Parker Industries to sever the ties between the two of them, you know. So, you know, suddenly that's magically better. And I guess I'm willing to buy it to a certain extent. You know, he is the CEO after all and and can kind of, you know, dictate people's attitudes toward these things, you know. But, yeah, with something as personal as Aunt May, it stands out a little bit stronger. Yeah, and then just like on a lesser note, but this is something that kind of bothered me was, you know, I, I, I felt I felt the conversation between Spider-Man and May in this issue to be a little odd, like a little too candid, like when he was like, oh, what I've been told is you're like a mother to him. And like, I was like, oh, I almost like, like, no joke, Dan. And I thought like he was going to unmask in this. I mean, it's not like anyone else doesn't, everyone else doesn't know his identity right now in this story. Yeah. Um, He's like putting yeah. on that whole Steve Jobs show earlier in the issue 
was uh, uh, a lot of work. So, you know, maybe I'll just stop with all this joking around and, and actually tell you. Right, right. So, um, I mean, is he yeah. really in fear at this point that his outing to his aunt will put her life in danger when he's got like a company this size and this many people protecting him? Yeah, I mean, it just doesn't make much sense. Um, it, it it seems like kind of holding on to an old trope just for the sake of doing it. Uh, um, I don't know what what purposes it serve. I mean, you know, in many ways, it's like. You know, I mean, they've gone through such efforts to kind of undo this, you know, the, the the mind block or whatever you want to call it from from Brand New Day. I mean, just just go all the way with it, you know, just reverse it for everybody who knew, you know, like, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, that's that that was just my thing. I mean, I just I just found the conversation to be a little too over the top with the candor and like the 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 the, the hints that there was, you know, there's a deeper connection between the two that you know than what had been previously led on to the point where again i was like oh we're we gonna get like a big reveal this up this issue that would be interesting but what else so what, are, what are other key things that you kind of caught on to here dan well you know so the book starts off with this uh i thought a nice scene you know for the most part with with the zodiac looking up at the sky and i liked how they kind of in the artwork you know brought in these kind of you know uh I guess the Milky Way photographs and and managed to merge it with the artwork. I thought it was a pretty nice looking page. Um, And you get some cryptic things with the Zodiac. Although there is that moment where the person who's reading the Zodiac signs is like, specifically this Zodiac signs about your deal with the Spider-Man. And I was thinking to myself, that's like if I opened the paper and read my horoscope, and it said, today you, Dan Gavostin, will wear a red shirt. It's, like, weirdly specific. Yes. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I mean, it seems like, you know, and I, and I don't mean to be picking on everything that, that this this issue does, but, like, it, it, it's, it's coming across as very repetitive here because I feel like, like a lot of the same kinds of jokes are being ma- are being made for the same kind of characters, and you know we talked about this. I think the last was I don't know if it was the last issue or issue two that like the Zodiac henchmen are kind of you know like a bunch of bros basically. You know what I mean? And and it was I just kind of saw like them being like, "Yo, bro, what's my what's my horoscope?" I mean, you know, like I just felt like it was just more of the same, and like. As as well rendered and interesting as those pages were, I mean, like it's. I feel like just by going back to the well over and over is making the overall narrative of this of this story just feel very meandering and repetitive, right? Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's almost the same structure of the previous issues we've gotten, except for maybe the first issue um, that started kind of like in media res with this chase, you know, um, but. One of the things about this issue that makes it so stand out amongst – well, I think we like the first three pretty well. Uh, or we like them enough. But like the first issue was full of like action and exposition and interesting reveals. The second issue you know, was really like a funny kind of like uh, a, a team-up book. And, and the third issue was like full of heart with Human Torch and some more – reveals about you know peter's new world and this issue like doesn't have the humor the great tech action or the heart i think of those first three issues and so it repeats these beats 
but doesn't add anything new to it. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the beats repeat from the first few pages to the last few pages. I mean, we got, you know, we we you know, not to jump around with the book, but I mean, you know, we once again end end this story with like um, an appearance from a classic villain, in this case, the lizard, and then like kind of a mystery, you know, twist regarding that villain, and um, and then this person in the red suit, and you know, we 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 saw Slot do this trick throughout superior when you know he just kept teasing and teasing and teasing the goblin king and the goblin the goblin and you know creating this mystery to the point where i mean you know damn we we would spend podcast after podcast who's the green goblin is it normie is it this person is it you know like i mean on and on and on and of course you know the reveal was mason banks a man who had facial surgery Norman Osborn with facial surgery. I mean, you know, like, like probably the worst possible reveal you could have asked for, or not the worst, <laughs> but the lamest, right? I mean, that's is that a fair assessment? I mean, like, completely fair. Um, so, and, and, you know, and not and not to be to be jaded, but like, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're repeating these beats in terms of like, oh, these mysteries and the, the villains, and why are these villains all being recruited, and who's doing this? And like you know, it's going to be like I don't know the janitor or something, and who cares? I I I like I mean like. But like even if it me- is someone special, it's going to have to be. There's got to be a unique twist on who that special person is for it to I be get- worth this amount of time. Well, that's it. I mean, like, and 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 you know, I just after going through these paces with with the dance slash Spider Man comic before, I'm just not in a position to be excited by it anymore. Okay, well, we're, you're not excited about it, but do you want to talk about any clues that we got in this issue as to who it might be? Well, I mean, like, I mean, I still keep focusing on the red suit, which, I don't know, to me kind of feels like Mephisto-ish, but, like, why would Mephisto be, like, amongst the people? So, maybe not, but, like, you know, if he's making people thought to be dead reappear it's got to be someone with powers on a mystical level like a higher level again like a mephisto or a doctor strange not that doctor strange would be doing that i don't think it's regent although maybe i don't know but like it's someone it's 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 a very highly powered person clearly yeah and he suggests you know to the lizard that they've met before so you know i can't think the lizard has had many arcs or stories where he's like Met other people maybe outside of like the the Sinister Six or another. it's Stegron. It's Stegron, yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, he also lizard does, lizard does show up in in the original Secret Wars, which would open up. I like, guess that a, is true. But um, there but, is a, there is another thing. This person like says that he knew that the lizard saved saved lives during the raid on the vault. You know, back in early. Superior Spider-Man, right? Um, which to me either says he's omnipotent, or he was there on that island. Because I don't, I can't imagine that. You know, they they all went and blabbed about. Oh, did you remember what the lizard did? Let's tell the press about the lizard saving lives. Because to me, it was kept very under wraps that Kurt Connor's mind was kind of like won the battle of the lizard. You know, you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, which is why I keep going back to Mephisto. I mean, like, I like because a character like Mephisto would know that without having to be there. 
Yeah, I mean, like, who could bring back characters, I mean, smell included? Like, I would think, like, oh, it's the Jackal or the Chameleon or whatever, but I think the Jackal has been played out in Dan Slott comics. Uh, I can't imagine him dipping back into that well so quickly. Right, Uh, right. And this is, I I mean, and this seems to be above the Chameleon's pay grade. Yeah, and the Chameleon has never dressed up other people or mimicked smells necessarily. No, and and if that I mean if that is what we're doing I, again I don't know I don't know what that would ultimately mean if we had like a chameleon that had such extraordinary powers I mean that would just kind of seem like then you might as well just create a new villain you know what I mean like why what yeah um I mean could it be an inheritor would an inheritor have that kind of knowledge I mean we're gonna get another Moreland story I I don't. I don't know. I mean, I guess we could, we're going to wait and see, but I I don't have any kind of like extra knowledge on this. Not like when we were guessing, like maybe it's Mason Banks. Like, there's nothing here that is tipping its hat to me specifically towards one person. Right. But you know, just remember, people, we we spent a year and a half to have Norman Osborn with a facelift. <laughs> I have to say, though, it was fun to see uh, the the Ross Andrews sh- shout-out with the Andrew Correctional Facility. Yeah, and, and, and Slot will do this a lot, and I liked it, too. I mean, like, I, I remember, wasn't there something last last year where he called it, like, the Conway you know, Library or something like that? I mean, like, he... he Dan Slot's a fan. I mean, there's, there's, there's no question about that, and, and he always... We'll work these things in, I feel like, and I, I, I got to give him credit for that. So what did you think about the actual people in Africa that Spider-Man was working with here? Because, I don't know, Dan, I had some issues with the characterizations here. Well, tell me. Tell me about it. I'm, I'm curious. Uh, well, okay. So, you know, we, we, we have this, um, you know, the, the, there's a there's a larger point being made in the narrative about, like, you know the, these warlords that are you know sabotaging the um, the solar panels. You know, being afraid of people with power and knowledge. And you know, he, he Peter meets these or Spider Man meets these children who who have all this like very easy access to internet. And I know, like you know, Dan, we talked offline. And you said something about oh, maybe they have like webware or something. It, it still feels a little improbable to me that you know people from an impoverished nation that would require. You know, a, a company like Parker Industries or like, you know, the Bill Gates Foundation or whatever, you know what I mean? Like to kind of come in and, and, and use modern means to rebuild these, to, not even to rebuild, but to build real infrastructure in these villages that they could just like research, you know, solar panel uh, dynamics or whatever you want to call it on the internet. Like that just seems odd to me. And then like, you know, with, with these warlords, I mean, you know, like these people would just wait, you know, if they were truly threatened by, you know, by a certain group of people, I mean, you know, I've seen an, I've seen Hotel Rwanda, Dan, they would just lay waste to that town. You know what I mean? Like, like brutal, savage waste to it. And that's not what we're getting. You know, like it's, it, it just feels like we're tap, we're, we're trying to be political, but we're also tap dancing around the realities of it. And we w- still want it to be fanciful. And, you know, my attitude is like either be real or don't do it because it, it, it's borderline insensitive 
in trying to be like fanciful about it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Mark, can I cheer for the goblins' fight against Western colonialism? <laughs> I don't um, know. Is, is that because you're a socialist, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, for me, I don't think the problem is necessarily how the characters are depicted. Like, I like that the girl figured out the solution. You know, it gives her a certain level of power over you know, being not just a, like a victimized, you know, lowly African person as a, you know, as Africans are often depicted in Western media. Right. Um, and certainly there are African militaristic regimes, you know, but my problem with this issue, um, and I think it really stands out is, um, that there's this whole kind of like white savior element uh, to this book, of like Peter and his friends coming to the rescue of these kind of defenseless Africans. Like everybody is a white person and that's just simple fix. You know, you don't have to change the Parkers to, you know, to be a different ethnicity. Um, we'll leave that for the Spidey book to do. Um, but, uh, could any of like the soldiers that Peter put like stationed with them have been non-white, you know, like they were very clearly white people, um, I don't know. I mean, just to kind of, you know, break up this kind of like, um, binary, you know, the Africans are, are black people and Parker and his team are the white people that are coming to save them. Um, I mean, you don't see a lot of those characters, but like, you know, it's not much and it could go a long way to breaking this stereotype. Yeah, uh, well, like I said, I just feel like we were, it, it was just a little too glib and fanciful for me. It's, it's you know, like, I, 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 you know, I'd rather see something that's actually based on re- re- reality or, you know, or just not do it, you know, like, then not have a story in Africa if you're either going to kind of play to some stereotypes or, or kind of play against stereotypes, but be, very unrealistic about it. I don't know. Like that's just my that's attitude. That's a trick whenever you do any, you know, any story like this where it's world spanning. It, you know, if you haven't been there, it can be difficult to accurately represent those people or do the amount of research required to make it seem authentic. And, you know, with Dan Slot, I mean, I guess he had five weeks for this book, uh, I don't know how that all works out, but it's been a while since we've talked one of these Spidey books. But, you know, I don't necessarily know that he has the time to research all of Africa or whatever country. Uh, Africa is a continent, but whatever country, <laughs> okay, Sarah, Alan. town, whatever he is, you know, go going to put Spider-Man in to make it seem wholly authentic, you know. Um, and I don't necessarily think that Dan Slott is a world traveler, at least from my knowledge of him. Yeah, definitely. Um, So the art in this comic, um, to me, and, you know, I've been very high on Kamikoli's art for a while now. To me, this felt like a step back for me, maybe because a lot of this issue is kind of focused on out of character, um, you know, out of costume characters, um, which I still feel even with how how he's improved it's one of camo's weaknesses and also just like the the overall aesthetic of africa and you know this might also 
we might have to bring the colorist into this as well. I mean, like just it just felt very plain and barren and uninter- visually uninteresting to me. And this is coming after three issues of a lot of really visually stimulating stuff in this comic book. So um, it was a bit of a letdown for me uh, visually. What about for you? Yeah, I feel the same way. And you know, I think Common Coley was given less interesting things to draw. But yeah, speaking about that colorist, you know, Marty Gracia, it was a new, newish colorist on this book. Um, I thought the color range in this comic was really limited. I mean, the orange color of the sky, I guess, setting it at this kind of like sunset time, you know, really didn't contrast with the sand of the desert, which, you know, Common Coley didn't really pack a ton of detail in. So when you're left with these two very similar colors, for the sky and the ground, it really like comes. It makes it a very visually drab comic, which is in complete stark contrast. I mean, think back to the first issue of the series uh, with the kind of like fluorescence of Tokyo. You know, it couldn't be more different. Um, mm. And uh, you know, that was a really visually exciting book. And uh, and this one, you know, yeah, it's fine, I guess. Yeah. Um, any other? Big things you want to get to? Not really. I mean, I I think we're sounding pretty negative on this book, and I guess maybe we are. This book certainly does not like it made me enthusiastic. Uh, you know. About yeah, I mean, I, I I was gonna say I think I think this comic is less bad for me than maybe just middling. You know, I think that's that would be the way I describe it, and that's my grade will reflect that. But what's your grade, Dan? Yeah, I, I'm I'm giving this thing a C minus. It's a little lower than middling for me because it's the fourth book. I feel like this is a tread water book, and I feel yeah. like four issues in, we shouldn't be treading water. Yeah, agreed. I mean, it's it's hypothetically the penultimate issue of this first arc, but it may not end up being that. Um, I'm going to go like a notch higher. I'm going to say C. There was stuff that I did like. Um, it just wasn't enough to like make me really really like the book but not it, but there also wasn't enough other things to make me say I disliked the book it just was kind of there for me so yeah I'm missing the internal monologue I can't get over that I don't know why I'm having a hard time getting over it but I really am well it's 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 betraying something you really know and relate to with the character so I can understand that yeah uh, that's probably it anyway uh, speaking of relating to things, we're going to relate to you, our listeners, by responding to your comments and emails. Well, then, yes, as as you so wonderfully segued, uh, it's we're going to be reading some comments on um, and emails now. Of course. Uh, when you listen to our podcasts, uh, you should be leaving us comments or and ratings on iTunes. That's how we how we grow as a community. We're trying to get to a hundred in time for our one hundredth episode. So uh, go into iTunes, search on Amazing Spider Talk, leave us a comment, let us know what you think of the show, and we'll read it on the air. And then if you have a question for us, you can email us at amazingspidertalk at gmail dot com or tweet us. With the hashtag OK to print. Dan, where is our first email from? Well, our first email comes from super fan of the show, Tom Yellow. 
Um, and he was asking us a couple of questions about MJ showing up in Iron Man, but we've kind of talked about that a bit. But I guess he has a broad, a bigger question is that do we think that uh, Pete will ever get back together with MJ? And I, I was interested in this question. You know, it, it's certainly one that I'm sure we've all thought about. But, um, you know, do we think that they'll ever go down that road again? Um, to getting him back with is, MJ. Is she just going to be forever that road you just don't travel down? And I guess I'm curious what you think of it that, Mark. I mean, you, you can never say never in comics, but I really do think the ship has sailed. I really, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think some people looked at Renew Your Vows as being, you know, more than just what it, I feel ended up being, which was just a kind of a, a three, four month writer exercise for some creators to do something a little different. Um, I didn't feel that that was indicative of larger things to come. Um, you know, when Joe Quesada is no longer involved in the hierarchy at Marvel, will, will they return the two? I mean, it's possible. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. but, but it certainly as long as Joe Q is there, I don't see it at the, you know, a real meaningful reunion happening. Um, what about you? Uh, I agree with you. Um, but also want to use one of your points to disagree with you. So I think while Joe Q is there, yeah, I think for uh, the time being, we're not going to see that happen. But at the same time, I think Marvel, uh, you know, they, they're about chasing after the, the dollar. I mean, of course they are. They're a company. It makes sense to be doing that. And Renew Your Vows sold so well. I think we're going to, you know, it could be years. It could be decades down the line. Imagine how much how many copies of an issue they'd sell with Peter and MJ kissing or whatever on the cover, you know, uh, I just think that there is so long as people have a desire to see that reunion, uh, there will always be an opportunity for someone to use that to make money. Um, so whether it, I don't think they're ever going to get married again, um, (laughs) because you don't undo something like that, but like, Dating again, flirting again, having sexual dalliances with each other certainly I think could happen because there's a lot of money to be made to doing so. Oh, how, how scandalous, Dan. <laughs> uh, it makes it sound like prostitution in some way. But, uh, you know, in, in many ways it kind of is. They're going to give you what you want eventually if it means them making money off of it. Fair enough. I don't. Uh, you're probably right. I mean, come on, let's be real. Like Gwen Stacy's going to come back at some point, right? Well, she she's Spider Gwen. There's your Gwen Stacy. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Way to lay get in a relationship. There you go. <laughs> once, they, once they like age her up or something, like Earth sixty five's universe ages faster than oh, the six one six. There you go. There's a there's a controversial headline coming coming our way well you know according to frank show as long as she's 18 right oh yeah yeah let's not get into that we have another no. question but before we get to that question i i do want to say that um uh tom has been a super fan of our show for quite a while and he's been writing to me about um you know going to the hospital and stuff and i don't want to get into the details of of that but i wanted to say that uh tom uh 
Mark and I are thinking about you, and uh, I know that everybody in our community, uh, you know, is thinking about you as well. So um, we just wanted to put the word out there that we hope you feel better and uh, get well soon. Definitely, Tom. Thanks for writing in, and and you know, definitely feel better. Um, All right, Mark, let's get to our next question here. Yeah, so this next one is uh, from Walter Howard, and Walter uh, asks us if we have any lost Spider-Man stories that we were bummed that never got printed, uh, kind of like those, those, those things that were rumored to be happening or whatever. Like the example he gives is Grant Morrison's planned uh, Spider-Man story where he uh, was going to return the character to the Ditko days. Um, so, Dan, why don't, why don't you start us off? What do, what do you think about lost Spider-Man stories that never saw the light of day? Yeah, I mean, like, this is a this is a tough question because, like, every writer, I'm sure, has dozens of stories that we're never going to see the light of day, you know, and you can talk to them. What kind of story did you want to tell? And we've done that, too. Like, uh, um, you know, I can think of a, a bunch of uh, writers who've told the stories uh, that they wanted to tell and never got to because of editorial or whatever reason. But um, off the top of my, you know, mind is uh, – you know, I would love to have read JMS's original plans for one more day, uh, and not necessarily because I would have liked it better, but more so because I'd just be really curious to see it. Because um, wanted to remove his name from the final two issues, and um, because it was so different than what he had planned. And and his original plan apparently it saw rewriting Spider-Man's history, wherein the big change was that Peter helped Harry overcome his drug addiction. You know, it saved Harry from dying and it allowed for Harry to remain in a relationship with MJ. Um, and it would have undone Gwen's death. And I got to think like that's such a weird radical change to the Spider-Man continuity. I would have just loved to see what that would look like. Mm. No, that's interesting. Um, I mean, far less kind of, Dramatic, um, but yeah, you know, something that I would have actually seen come to fruition. And Dan, you know, I'll, I'll admit that uh, my fascination comes from you know the the months upon months of articles and interviews we conducted on the topic. But um, you know, I, I I want I would like to have seen how DeFalco and friends intended to end the Hobgoblin saga, which was you know supposed to be Richard Fisk, the son of the Kingpin, being revealed as the Hobgoblin, while um, Roderick Kingsley, who uh, would later be revealed as Roger Stern's Hobgoblin, was going to be the Rose. Uh, but, but this whole thing was seemingly upended by Jim Owsley, the editor, who's now known as Christopher Priest, um, who I guess just had an axe to grind with the Falco and friends and you know had his own ideas for where that storyline should go. Um, you know, because that's one of those things where, you know, that storyline I felt was being built so well and so interesting and to like have it kind of the reveal just go flat like that has always been a bit of a letdown. And, you know, Stern's Hobgoblin Lives story kind of sets it right. But I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like you need you, you need to have a store, a miniseries 10 years later to set things right. It should have been right in the first place. But even then, like, that interpretation of how that would have gone down makes a lot more sense, you know? It makes a lot more sense that, you know, when we first uh, meet Roger Kingsley, he's like a fashion designer, you know? Like, it makes more sense that he's the Rose yeah, you know, and not the Hobgoblin. You know, you know even, even if that wasn't Stern's original plan, 
Yeah, I think well, you know, and Francis plan makes more sense. Yeah, well, DeFalco always likes to kind of put down Stearns as it's his evil twin, which is uh, <laughs> they're not twins; they're just brothers that look alike. And and you know, Stearns, to his credit, does like kind of like sneak into one of his last issues that that Kingsley had a brother that looked like him. Um, or at least there's an indication of that, but it's, it's, it's very loose. And, um, yeah, I mean, what the Falco and friends wanted to put forward sounded so much more, like you said, um, logical and less kind of like, you know, surprise. It's what you least expected, you know, like, I mean, it was, it's something where, you know, if they were allowed to actually, write that story because that's the thing i mean that that was the plan and and apparently when owsley was editing the books he would like purposely leave stuff out of the books that would have like set richard fisk up more as the uh as as the hobgoblin i mean it's i mean the guy really meddled with it and you know he kind of has his big uh mea culpa on the internet you know that we've referred to on the website before though you know why i don't talk about spider-man uh, and you know he he seems to have kind of come to peace with that. Although when you talk to the the Falco and Friends of the world, I I don't get the sense that they they have come to peace with it. <laughs> um, Maybe it's because you're doing all this ribbing of them. Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, when I asked Peter David about it, I mean, his exact retelling of the story to me was. You know, Peter David, you know, was was the one charged with writing the story that revealed Ned Leeds as the Hobgoblin, and 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 when when apparently like Owsley said, let's do the foreigner as the Hobgoblin, and Peter would be like, and why would you do that? Because I'm killing Ned Leeds, and why would you do that? To to screw with Tom DeFalco. So, uh, you know, anyway. Healthy times in the spider office. Oh, the 80s were great, man. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. No, I'm not. That's not. Let's, let's edit that out. Well, guys, we've advertised to you that our 100th episode is coming up in just a couple of episodes. In fact, this is episode 96 uh, of our show. I know our episodes aren't necessarily numbered, but I'm telling you now, believe me when I tell you, it's episode 96. And we're planning a big, awesome 100th episode, and we want you guys there for it. And the way that you can be there for it is by leaving us a voicemail by calling our spider phone hotline number. And Mark, what is that number? That number is nine red goblins. So that's the number nine. And then, you know, go do, 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 do on your pad and spell out R-E-D-G-O-B-L-I-N. I could list what those numbers are, but just spell out red goblin on your phone because I don't feel like listing those numbers out. And so nine. You're remember, you're not going to remember numbers, are you? Are no, you? No, but you will remember nine red goblin. I got a and, nine red goblin tattoo. Uh, yeah. Well, I was going to when I got drunk one night, but then I realized that you'd probably be upset, so I just got a nine Spider-Man tattoo. Well, well, Mark, what do you want to hear when people call in? Because I know I want to hear people calling in and saying that annuals count. 
Yeah, we could talk about annuals. We could talk about things like Irish bacon, your favorite memories of the show, uh, Mark's fascination with Karate Kid 3, um, Dan's fascination with his lack of hair. Um, it is true. It is a fascination to me. You know, your favorite guests that we had on the show, um, you know, just just comics that you, your favorite review, uh, you know, what Flash Thompson is really like. Because I, I have stories, uh, but I won't be able to tell you unless you prompt me with a question on nine Red Goblin. And Mark, we haven't gotten any voicemails yet. And I know there I, I have the numbers here, Mark. There are over a thousand of you out there listening to this right now. And not one of you is called in. So I'm putting some serious guilt on you right now. Call yeah. us nine yeah. Red Goblin. Yeah, if you don't call in, I'm going to send Flash Thompson personally to each one of your houses, and he's going to raid your liquor cabinet one. So, And if you're, like, underage, like, under 21, and he's raiding your liquor cabinet, you're going to get in so much trouble with your parents So, um, because they're going to be like, where did, like, my three bottles of scotch go? And you're going to have to tell them that this pretend Flash Thompson stole them. And they're not going to believe you, nor should they. So just call Nine Red Goblin. Save yourself the embarrassment of having to explain to your parents where the scotch went. I guess I couldn't sell it any better than that. And so speaking of scotch cabinets, I think it's time for our favorite part of the show. So, Flash, uh, we didn't have our show last week. Where have you been? What do you mean, where have I been? What are you, what are you insinuating? That I was in space? Ooh, that's my space voice, Dan. It's uh, really hypnotic, Flash. Ooh, you know what the problem about space is? No one can hear you scream. Yes, or 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 hear you puke after too many shots of vodka. Oh, gross! I, that stuff just—it just hangs there in space in front of you, or in your suit. But don't—you don't, didn't hear that from me. <laughs> Does the symbiote um, feed off of that? Symbiote? I, what? I can't just be a normal astronaut who goes into space in a spacesuit. Well, you're what not are you John insinuating? Jameson. What are you insinuating? You're no John Jameson. I'm better than John Jameson, all right? And speaking of Jameson, it's time for my Jameson. So do your little 60-second flash reviews with with the dings and the dungs. And I I heard a rumor that you might be going long on one of these, Dan. And if you do, you're not going to want to see what I do to your shoes. All right, Dan. Well, you heard it. So uh, you've been warned. I, I feel bad for even bringing up Jameson. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, these are the things that you just have this knack of walking into when it comes to um, to Flash, Dan. So um, I hate that we have a mutual friend named Johnny Walker. Every time I bring him up, it's just the end of the oh, day. Oh, yeah. 
Well, just as long as you don't talk about like Walker, Texas Ranger, because then like, you know, he starts talking about Wa- Johnny Walker and then he like starts doing karate and thinks he's Chuck Norris. So, um, <laughs> not a good mix. As, as our, our drunk, drunken comrade said, we, we do these reviews of the B books. Each one is 60 seconds long. We basically do the thumbs up, thumbs down system, uh, whether it's good or not. And uh, given given the intro, why don't we start with Venom Space Night number one? Why don't you count me in, Dan, and I'll I'll, I'll get rolling on it. Three, two, one. So I didn't really mind this book on its own merits. It's a fun little space adventure featuring some superpowered people. But the tone and voice of this book does not scream Flash Thompson, Agent Venom to me. Not not even a little bit. Uh, maybe Marvel is confusing Agent Flash with Peter Quill or Rocket Raccoon. Uh, you know, whatever happened to the guy who fights personal demons and tries to be a better person while idolizing Spider-Man uh, and also struggling with power and responsibility of being bonded to an asocial alien symbiote? Uh, it's a character we really haven't seen since Rick Remender's, uh, left Venom's, what, three years ago? Uh, the art in Venom Space Night is at least pretty interesting, but I, I, Dan, I don't see this book lasting more than a handful of issues before Marvel realizes that this is a terrible match in terms of character, creator, and concept. I say, Puny Parker. All right, I feel like we're gonna echo each other here. Oh no! Oh no! All right, three, two, one. Yeah, Venom Spice Night number one. I understand that shaking things up is a way to keep things fresh, but this interpretation of Venom basically divorces it from any of the things that made it interesting in the first place, like you said, Mark. Instead of the obvious choice of having Flash learn that Spider-Man's identity is the same as the kid he bullied in grade school and writing a series based on that complicated emotional fallout, we've got a cured Venom suit. No, sorry, a Clintar because that's what they're called now, the symbiotes. An inner space Flash Thompson, an ambiguous title, and none of my interest. Add on top of that that some of the art is incredibly static here. That may look just decent on a poster, but I failed to competently tell a story. I'm giving this one Puny Parker. All right, Dan, one down. We got Silk number one next. Would you count me in, please? All right, Silk number one in three, two... So the tone of the series continues to befuddle me, especially when it came to how all the different reveals were presented. But at the same time, I'm at least intrigued by the premise of this new status quo, which in a lot of ways is kind of a continuation of the story that was being told pre-Secret Wars. Uh, I mean, I don't understand why everyone in the Marvel Universe has to become immersed in S.H.I.E.L.D., but I guess that's just the way it is, uh, With certainly with Marvel television uh, being as big as it is. Um, I do like the idea of Black Cat being a nemesis of sorts for Cindy and needing her to play both sides as a means to her to achieve some personal gain. Uh, Stacey Lee's artwork continues to be the best part of this series for me, at least. Um, and while it might just be me, Robbie Thompson seems to write every character the same. Uh, we'll, we'll see that with Venom and then later on with Spidey. Um, but I will say this is fan club certified for me. I did like it. So, uh, Dan, how about you in three, two, one? Yeah, Mark, I'm glad that Robbie Thompson decided to keep telling the story he started during his debut of Silk instead of throwing it all away in an attempt to shock us after Secret Wars. The wrinkle of Silk being, like, quote-unquote evil here I thought was an interesting one, 
even though it was kind of undone, uh, her main goal remains the same, and so does my interest in this creative team and character. Silk reminds me again of the most classic Spider-Man stories, even if it's a little bit more decompressed in those books. And it'll remain my go-to light reading entertainment during the new era of Spider-Man books. So I'm calling this one fan club certified. All righty. Well, this one's probably going to get dicey, Dan. All right. Here we go. What book is that, Mark? Well, we're gonna we're gonna do um, Spidey number one. Uh, I, this this was far less controversial for me, but. Uh, well, why don't I just do mine, and then we'll get to you. All right. So I'll count you in in three, two, one. So speaking of Robbie Thompson writing everyone the same, here's Spidey number one, except here I actually really like the tone as it relates to a more modern-sounding version of a teenage Spider-Man. I know the series is, is probably driving the continuity buffs crazy. Sorry, Dan. But it's very plain that this thing is operating within its own universe, and I'm not going to let double talk from the executives of Marvel make me think any differently. At its basis level, this was a very approachable entry-level story to Spider-Man. We're at a point where we really can't expect new readers to check out and relate to the Ditko Lee issues. Uh, and while Bendis' work on Ultimate was equally wonderful, his stories feel a bit dated now in retrospect. Uh, I think this issue carries a lot of insight as to what we should probably expect from the next big screen iteration of this character. And maybe I'm being just a bit complacent, but I can live with that, this Spider-Man, and thus I can live with Spidey too. So I say fan club certified. Uh, I, I'm not even going to catch you in because I, 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 you got some stuff you got to get off your chest, and I think we can break format here for a bit. Yeah, I'll keep it short, but yeah, I do have a point I want to make. So let me just say this, and I know I'm going to go along here, but uh, Marvel heavily marketed this book as an inc- as incontinuity stories, repeatedly stating that or being ambiguous about it during conventions and interviews. So obviously they wanted those of us already invested in Spider-Man to buy the book and increase its sales. And when the book was released, and it obviously wasn't that at all, I used my small pull at CBR, my my really small pull at CBR, let me be clear, uh, to ask Axel Alonso about it during an interview where he said, quote-unquote, it is up for the readers to decide if it is continuity or not. And let me be clear. I'm fine with the book not being in continuity. Ultimate Spider-Man is one of my favorite interpretations of the character. Um, This book, though, I feel is no Ultimate Spider-Man in quality uh, or even, I guess, in its its attempt. But I hate being duped by publishers who are trying to have their cake and eat it too. I know that I won't be buying any more of this book purely because I resent being taken advantage of. Which is a shame because I think there are positives to say about the title, like you said, Mark, especially as a movie-friendly intro book for people not versed in Spidey's history. I mean I would happily hand this book to someone who like didn't want to dive deep into continuity. But otherwise, I'm going to have to say Puny Parker. Uh, that wasn't as dramatic as I thought it was going to be. No, I'm not, I'm not operating in extremes here. I just – Somebody has to say, like, I don't like being duped. You, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I, I understand. And I agree with you. Um, I, I, I'm, being, I'm being just way too forgiving about it because, I don't know, I just I, – to me, I kind of see this industry. It's kind of like pro wrestling. It's all just carnies. 
<laughs> it's all lies. It's all lies. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to sell characters in tights and costumes and with fantastical powers. I mean, you know, it's all, it's all just a, sh- a charade. Anyway, Carnage number two. Speaking of things not being as we expected, but maybe not in a bad way. Yeah, absolutely. So let me count you in in three, two, one. So this series continues to be so much fun. It's dark and creepy the way an old school horror movie might be. And the lack of visual focus on Carnage actually makes a character far more terrifying than he's been for years. Conway is essentially crafting a monster story. And at the same time, it happens to be utilizing Carnage as the big bad. But it's difficult to call this a Carnage story. All the same, when the focus is on the character, it still feels true to that character. Uh, Conway even gets to throw in one of his old creations, Manwolf, into the mix. So what's not to love? Uh, and as I said after the first issue, Mike Perkins' Bronze Age era artwork, at least that's what it feels like to me, is just so wonderful to look at. I cannot wait to see which direction this book goes next. I say fan club certified. All right, Mark, Carnage number two, count me in. Three, two, Carnage. So this book knows its tone, and it nails it so hard in a way only an industry veteran can. I mean, what surprises me most is just how little time we're spending with Carnage and how natural Conway's dialogue is, especially after spending a lifetime reading his heightened writing for superheroes. This is definitely different than all of that. Uh, Perkins' artwork is a perfect match, and together the two sell me on the rapidly escalating stakes of this series and even manage to make Manwolf, a character I've never really been fond of, work in a stunning reveal. Mark, when does issue three come out? I want it now. Fan club certified. I don't actually know that answer, Dan. I thought it was supposed to come out this past week, but clearly not. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll give, we'll give it some time. All right, Dan. Well, why don't you bring us to the bridge? Yeah, it's been a long episode. Well, of course, you can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts, all 95 of them other than this episode, at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com or find us on iTunes and Stitcher by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. And please, if you do, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Also, be sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our sister podcast, The Ultimate Spin. And most of all, leave us a voicemail at 9REDGOBLINS so we can include your audio message on our upcoming 100th episode. Remember, I got Flash on speed dial, and you're not going to like it if he visits your house. Yeah. (laughs) Well, next week we're going to be joined by um, a critic from CBR uh, and also comedian Matt Little, who's going to be discussing with us what it's like to review comics and uh, kind of a kerfuffle that he found himself in. And I guess the state of comics criticism altogether. It might not be specifically Spidey focused, but I think you guys are going to enjoy it nevertheless. And we do get around to talking about Spidey as well so uh look forward to that uh episode all right dan well i'm looking forward to hearing from matt and and in the interim where can i hear from you out on the internet yeah you can follow me on twitter at at dan gavosden or my spider-man twitter account at sup spider talk i'll read all of my writing and all of our contributors writing over on superior spider talk.com and you can read all of my film reviews at grindmyreels.com what about you mark 
Of course, you can find me at Chasing ASM Blog, and then you can find all my wonderful writings at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com, including my my 12 lost gems of December uh, leading up to the holiday season, uh, bringing some warmth to your hearts uh, with stories such as the first Captain uh, Britain in America um, or, or Paul Jenkins' first issue on Peter Parker Spider-Man or even my favorite Mysterio story from the Silver Age. These are the underrated gems that you won't find on any top lists, but they're tops in my heart, Dan, and that's all that matters. People are loving these stories, and they're great. I'm having a lot of fun reading them. So, uh, you know, I love following along with your articles and reading everything on Marvel Unlimited. When available, you did that Lost Years, and that's not available on Marvel Unlimited. But I heard from a couple listeners, or a couple readers, rather, that they bought the book online just so they could read uh, this book you were telling them about. Well, that's exciting to me because – and I'm sure Marvel likes that too. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, um, I was digging through my Daily Bugle this week and I came upon the horoscope section. I'm a cancer and my horoscope mentioned that I'd have a fateful reunion with a friend I thought long gone. And it reminded me of your Uncle Ben and his unfortunate passing. But I, I guess I'm curious, Mark, what's your zodiacal sign? Well, Dan – I'm a Leo, which means I'm an independent sort, uh, you know, very kind of loyal and courageous and, 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 you know, a lot of fire in my heart. Uh, you know, I, I'll stand by the people I love until the day I die. And, you know, that's, you know, Uncle Ben was not a Leo, but he was like that in a lot of ways, uh, which explains why he was eaten by a lion. And that's, <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I got. So remember, with great podcasts must also come amazing spider talk. <laughs>